Hello, and welcome to the Irreverent History of Ulster podcast, with a bit about Ireland and a bit about beyond. My name is Nick, and this is episode one, Why the Red Hand. To learn of the past, the answers can't be asked. It's researching such a mystery. So I'll grab this podcast and I'll learn at last of Ulster's irreverent history. Okay, I know what you're thinking. What an epic tune. Can I hear it again, please? Well, maybe later, if you're good. But there's just a few things we'll have to cover before we even get to the history, so let's start on with that. Firstly, there may be a bit of swearing. I'm not going to be dropping C-bombs every few minutes or anything like that. Just the odd cuss word may pop out in chat. You know, it's an emotive subject. People do get very passionate about it, and I'd be one of those people. However, I am not an historian, just a bit of a geek that likes nabbing about in the past. Especially the controversial stuff. That's that's my bag, really. If it annoys someone, I will probably like it. Luckily for me, I come from Ulster, and there are a lot of annoyed and angry people. Word of the wise, though, please fact-check me. Certainly, if you plan to regurgitate any of this at any point in your life, it is definitely a good idea to confirm that I am right. And if I'm not, let me know. I want to get to the truth. That is my main aim here. See how close the truth we can get and have a bit of fun doing it. But I am definitely human. So to paraphrase all Dick Jones from Robocop, my mistakes will be made. It's time to erase those mistakes. However, it's not include mistakes with my pronunciation of Irish words or phrases or names or whatever. I am not a linguist. There's no need for an inch mob justice. Cool. Good to go. Excellent. Sit down. Strap in. Let's get cracking. Okay, right. This episode is called Why the Red Hand, but what is the Red Hand? Well, it's a symbol that's prevalent in Ulster, especially on flags, and visually it's exactly what it says. It's just a big red hand. I mean, that's, that's, that's essentially it. Just a big, crazy looking red hand. Uh, ever since I was a kid, I've seen it flapping in the wind, you know, waving at me, like literally, literally it's waving at me. I mean, it's so striking. It just exudes danger, blood, violence. It's, it, Everything a child wants to see, obviously. To exemplify this guy, or I'll give you an example of this. At school, it was the name of a game you play. Well, it was more of a trick you pulled in people. Uh, in PE, your games were, uh, or anywhere really, that you got changed and exposed your naked back. There, there was a chance that someone would slap you right in the middle of your back. I mean, right between the shoulder blades. It would leave you in doubled over an agony. Your shoulder blades would be popped back as far as you could. You'd make that noise. All the while, a red handprint would start emerging and throbbing on your skin. I mean, this would be accompanied with the strapline, red hand of Ulster, and lots of laughter. And uh, the implied bargain there is you can't strike the person back. You had to wait. You had to swallow your anger. You know, all that bile was flowing into your mouth. You just had to swallow that and just wait. Just wait for the slightest hint of weakness in anybody else so you could get your redemption. Didn't have to be the person that did it to you. That's how the game kept going. You just slapped whoever you could. Um, sort of thinking. I wonder if they still do that in school. Probably not, because you'd probably get sued nowadays. You know, it's that kind of culture. But in my school, you know, nobody really cared. To be fair, we had a teacher that tickled you if you forgot your homework. Uh, that was a bit odd. Like, there was there was one that did much worse. I think he's in yeah, he's in jail now. So, yeah, no need to go into that though. Anyway, so moving on. Um, that's probably not where it comes from. Just in case you're wondering there. So, the Red Hand is rife throughout the province of Ulster. Ulster's the most northerly of the four counties of Ireland. I'm sure you know where Ireland is. Most people, probably every person I've ever spoken to, certainly any taxi driver, any time I've ever been in America, has claimed to have a branch of their family tree that stems from here. But if you're not so sure, and you'd like to know a little bit more about Ulster's geographic position, in Ireland there's a 60 second, very low budget video explaining it at irreverenthistory.com slash ulstervid. That's I-R-R-E-V-E-R-E-N-T history.com slash Ulstervid. 
as we were saying, the red hand, though it can be quite a divisive symbol. You know, it's just a big red hand. How can it divide people? Well, you would be surprised. Well, maybe you wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's not quite the swastika. Let's not go that far. But And the swastika obviously was a peaceful symbol before the Nazis took it and sort of made it their own, to be fair. I mean, you see some of the swastika nowadays, you're like, okay, stay away from that, dude. Unless you're in jail and you want to associate with those people. But maybe that teacher from school got one. Nah, but anyway. So a high-profile uh, example of this involves a former Miss Northern Ireland turned TV presenter called Zoe Salmon. It's just an example. She was presenting a long-standing children's TV programme in Britain called Blue Peter. Basically just makes stuff out of junk or get tours of flower gardens, stuff like that. And it's not exactly my bag, but it must hit the sweet spot for some people as it has been on for absolutely decades. Anyway, like, there was a competition to create a best of British design for a tail fin of a plane for British Airways. And uh, she had absolute audacity to suggest using the red hand. And this is this was in 2005, so it was 10, 12 years ago, but re- recently compared to some of this history. But the quote she said was, I'm from Ulster and I'd like to cover a jumbo jet with a red hand of Ulster as that is our proud symbol. I mean, this caused a clamour of consternation. Probably not for many children. I, mean, I don't think many children are really going to give a shit about it. But it did include one that ran in the media from a professor in sociology at Strathclyde. In Scotland. Okay, firstly, he said it had sectarian connotations. It was being used by loyalists in their murals and would offend many people. So by extension, obviously the loyalists use paint and words in their murals, so I assume he's wanting them banned too. But what I found most strange about that was what what's he doing? Why is a middle-aged Scottish-based professor watching Blue Peter? I mean, is he looking to make a paper cup display or... Well, I don't know. Is just want to have a gander at the real tidy female presenters? You know, there are quite a few. Or maybe the male ones, if he's into that. Or maybe he had a book to sell. I mean, you could speculate all day. But more irritation to some is that Blue Peter went so far as to issue an apology for this. They said any, they issued an apology for any upset or concern caused and declared that the symbol wasn't intended to be provocative or promote sectarianism. Right, okay, so this red hand promotes sectarianism, apparently, right? So who also has it? The Northern Ireland Fire Service. They have it as their emblem. So they should obviously apologise for being so partisan. Yeah? Okay, I'll, I'll leave that with you. Okay, so apart from a children's TV, where else can you see this symbol that evokes such mental emotion? Well, Walter de Berg became Earl of Ulster back in around 1243, something like that. He took his family crest, which was a red cross on a golden background, which supposedly exemplified the golden crops of Ulster. I'm not sure if he's been here, but there's not too many of those. Everything's green, really, right? And he popped a red hand right in the middle, surrounded by a white shield, right? It's a flag that's actually still very popular today, due to another family called the O'Neills. They sort of kind of usurped the uh, the de Burgs as the premier family. I mean, they're, they're a massive family. The most famous of whom is a guy called... Niall Neuschelash, or Niall of the Nine Hostages. He's the daddy of them all, right? He, and he's a subject of podcast number two. So, you know, don't miss that one. They took the same flag, you know, with a, the red cross, golden background, white shield with a red hand in the middle of it. And they called it the Red Hand of O'Neill. They're trying to solidify their identity as a premier family in Ulster. A red hand rebrand, if you will, huh? <laughs> okay. Well, it, I mean, it'd be like me taking the Union Jack, represents the UK, the flag, red, white, and blue, and calling it the Union Nick. You know, there'd be an uproar. We'd shut down Facebook, shut down Twitter, social media going crazy with shouts of moral outrage, you know? I mean, who does this dick think he is? This is my heritage. He's screaming with how many people died under that flag, under that banner, and so on, and so on, and so on. But back then, the populace was probably more concerned with scratching out their next meal 
they even care about the quirks of the rich and powerful. I mean, you'd get a clip around the ear if you were lucky, a club around the ear if you weren't. Nowhere any peasant's going to cause trouble back in those days. And the only trolls back then are dead trolls. Okay, so you know there's flags, but where do you see them? Generally, people tend to use flagpoles, don't they? Build a mass, maybe, but no, not in Northern Ireland. We prefer to fly our flags from lampposts. Yep, lampposts, where you get light. No, we use them as flag flying devices. So of the of these flags or flags, as is a colloquial term in Google Google app for a storm and teacup story of moral outrages we're talking about a minute ago. But of these flags, some represent territory, such as the aforementioned Union Jack or the Irish Trickler. Uh, another would be the Ulster Banner. And then there's then there's the plethora of other flags that pretty much represent paramilitary organizations, you know, UVF, UDA, IRA, INLA, of which there are hundreds, like quasi literally hundreds of them. And I mean, Google them for the crack too, if you want. Some of them are pretty cool looking, some of them are just mental. But like, especially now, like right now, we are entering marching season, so there's even more flags than normal. If you're wondering what marching season, it's when the Orange Order, the Orange Men, they march about in celebration of victory at the Battle of the Boyne from 1690. Yep, that is 1690, nearly 350 years ago. Uh, there, there were two claimants things this throne back then. The incumbent is a Catholic called James II, and the other challenger was a Protestant from the Netherlands in Europe called William of Orange, who was backed by the Pope, who was a Catholic. It makes sense, doesn't it? Well, William, he won the decisive battle at the Boyne, which is a river in Ireland, and the Order have been marching and putting up flags ever since, whether the locals want them to or not, which is nice. Danny Boyle, not to be confused with Danny Boy, does a nice summary of the since recent train spotting sequel, which is well worth a watch, especially the song, which uh, will give you a good chuckle, you know. At the moment, we'll focus on the Ulster Banner for a second here, right? And, and for those who are unfamiliar, it's very similar to the original De Berg kind of flag. Uh, it, it has a red cross in the middle, sits on a white background instead of a gold background, and it too has a distinctive red hand in the middle, but they replace the white shield in the background with a six-pointed star, and there's a crown above it. Also, some people have a mini Union Jack on the top left-hand side for that little dash of extra Britishness. But despite its popularity, oddly, it isn't even an official flag anymore. And it hasn't been since the dissolution of the, the Northern Irish Parliament in 1972. But, tell you what, I dare you to go and tell the lamppost flag putter up or that, you know what I mean? Go on, let me know how that goes for you. Apart from flags... You also see it in many emblems, right? So you have the red hand on the Ulster rugby team crest. I don't know if you know much about rugby, but it's a, it's a pretty big sport in Ulster. Also big is Gaelic football, and you would see it on the Tyrone Gaelic team jersey. And they're actually known as the red hands, but don't obviously tell any professors and stuff like that because they'll kick off. To give a little more balance, there's also more sinister things. You know, he was kind of right. There is obviously sectarian elements that have adopted the red hand. Um, it's used as the emblem for the Red Hand Commandos. I mean, they really went out with on a limb with that name, didn't they? And then, get this, the Republican Grave Association. So it's, uh, I hope you see where I'm going with this here, right? All sides of the community. Many factions within those communities are all claiming the hand as their own. I mean, it, it can also be seen on the shields of counties Cavan, Tyrone, Derry, Antrim, uh, Monaghan. There are so many examples. It's also on the town of Dungannon's shield. However, my favourite is the coat of arms from my hometown of Bangor, where uh, it sits there on uh, a sailboat because we're a seaside town, along with, amongst other things, two supposed dolphins that honestly look like rejects from an old Sinbad movie, like circa 1950. 
It's talking about movies and popular culture. If you watch Peaky Blinders, you'll probably have heard the tune Red Right Hand by Nick Cave in the Bad Seats. It's possibly alluding to the lyric in John Milton's Paradise Lost. It's about a sort of Irish kind of traveller-ish family that have sort of settled in Birmingham and they're into illegal bookies and all that sort of stuff. And anyway, there's numerous references to Ulster and Peaky Blinders. One of the most prominent is Inspector Chester Campbell, who's played by Sam Noon, who must have forgotten his over there. He's a peeler from Belfast with a dodgy past and the exact point in the story when his paramilitary connections are exposed the red right hand hauntingly begins playing in the background alluding to the sinister undertones of the red hand and its nature. Okay, let's step back here we say, right? All, all the chat above establishes that the red hand it's there. You know what I mean? It's mired in the Ulster culture. You can't deny that. But just how did the bloody thing get there? <laughs> Weirdly, there... There's no clear opinion. You know, there's no consensus. I'm sure you're as shocked about that as I am. I mean, the greatest minds and scholars on this island cannot agree with how it came about. So unfortunately, it's left to me to explain where the arguments lie. I'm going to start with some Irish. Le Breed, Lamb, Derg. That is the kind of pronunciation that gets Celtic scholars in a flap and a frenzy. You know, burlap sacks, lynch mob justice. But it means Le Breed of the Red Hand. Now, the Braid was the son of the sun god Nyada. Nyada had to give up his throne because he had his hand cut off, and then if you were crippled or disabled back in those days, the throne was taken off you because it was seen as a massive weakness. However, being a god, his hand grew back, grew back as silver, and then grew back to normal, allowing him to reclaim his birthright. I'm just thinking, he's lucky his father wasn't circumcised. What would his name be then? Another tale is one of two giants tussling with each other near the Mourn Mountains. Now my dear mum always says that it's all fun and games until someone loses an eye. Well, it wasn't an eye that these giants lost, but a hand, a casualty of their fight, you know. It flew into the air, spinning numerous times on its axis. You can see it up in the sky, turning round and round, landing on a rock. At the end of the scrap, you know, the victor lifted his foe's hand to return it to the cooling corpse of the vanquished. And it left a sticky red imprint where once it lay. Yeah, I mean, and that's the so-called red hand of us. I mean, really? Nah, I'm not buying that one either. You know, I'm going to pass on that one. Maybe I'm just a little naive, but I prefer tales with a little more evidence. One such tale is that of Judah, direct from the Bible. He was a Jew. And you're probably thinking, why is up? There's no Jews in Ulster. You know, I don't see no skull caps. There's all pros and Catholics fighting it out. But really, there's always been a subtle backdrop of kind of Judaism, Jewish chatter in Ulster. You know, it is very much a distant third wheel behind the big two, but definitely there. It sort of leads to certain unionist loyalists, generally of a Protestant background. They seek to associate themselves with Israel. You know, they feel they have similar issues. A country uh, beset, beset by the world and accused of a land grab. But I mean, it could just possibly be as a response to the Republicans, like nationalists, generally of a Catholic background, who have associated themselves with Palestine, as they feel they've been the victims of a land grab. It's a bit of a Middle East 101 there, you know, watered down. But in terms of Ulster, it's a bit chicken and egg type scenario as to who actually supported who first. I'm not sure anyone knows, but it really does result in this intriguing spectacle. Both the flags of Israel and Palestine from the Middle East flapping on the on the provinces already oversubscribed lampposts. I mean, that's the ever-spanning web of weirdness that really is the political horizon of also there are flags, flags as far as the eye can see. An interesting side note here, right? Uh, Possibly rumour. Don't want to get slander or libel, whatever one is speech. I'm not sure. I'm not a lawyer either, obviously. I'm not sure what I'm overly good at. 
is, is one of the numerous loyalist paramilitary groups, and there are loads of them, right? Loads of pulling ones too, but this is the part, loyalist ones, right? Loyalist, one of those loyalist paramilitary groups used to receive a monetary contribution from Combat 18, who are neo-Nazis, right? From mainland Europe. However, they didn't really think it was true. The funding was hastily withdrawn. Any money they were given was hastily taken away when it came to the attention of those Hitler lovers that the paramilitary organisation in question was actually flying the flag of the Jewish state. As that's kind of who they're kind of fighting against. So you had like a weird kind of terrorist love triangle there. Who knew the politics of international terrorism was such a minefield? You know, you got to be careful there. Right? Anyway, well, I'm digressing here, right? So Judah, who was Jewish? He had twins. I called Zara and Perez. But there's a birth and a story. It's generally not good, right? But anyway, during this delivery, the midwife was there trying to coax the baby out. Everything seemed to be going well. And the hand popped out instead of the head. What's that? I'll tie a red bracelet around it because apparently that's what you did back then. All of a sudden, the hand got whipped back in. Then, a couple of seconds later, a baby popped out without the red bracelet. Oh, what's going on here? Is that even possible? In the birthing canal, can you just overtake a baby? I don't know. I'm not sure. I would very much doubt it. But Zara then eventually popped out too, which sounds all charming for a mother and day, doesn't it? Having the twins fighting in there over who's going to get out of the womb first. I'm not sure how physiologically possible that is, but Zara seemed to get over his brother's slight eventually because it went on to be quite a big deal by leading a branch of the Israelite eventually settled in northern Spain and Galicia. So remember that name, Galicia. But we'll park that for the moment and we'll look back at Jewish connection. Now the obvious side is the red hand and the red bracelet and how they're mildly intertwined, your bloody red hand, the red bracelet was put on that. It gains a little traction. But if you think about the six-sided star on the Ulster banner, and it's supposedly a reference to the Jewish star of David. Now, I always took it as representing the six counties of Ulster, the six that formed Northern Ireland out of the nine counties of Ulster, sorry. Probably offended half of Ulster there, but half Ulster probably aren't listening, so it doesn't really matter. And we'll come back to this in a bit. Now there's another option, a fourth option, the Vikings. I used to always sit my dad uh, as a kid and uh, especially around Christmas we would always watch The World's Strongest Man. I mean, and the Scandinavians, Barnum, were always my favourite. You know, they always had blonde hair, crazy skin, massive people and loads of tattoos. People didn't really have that many tattoos back then, but they did. You know, especially one guy called Sven Carlson who would, who would point at his forearms and he had Viking power written down him and he would scream, Viking power! Every so often. And I, I mean, I just love that. So I'm quite partial to this story. You know, kind of secretly hoping that I have some Viking ancestry myself, you know. It would be a bit of a double-edged sword, though, if it did. Because it's probably as a result of the Vikings being Vikings and raping and pillaging the communities of Ulaster, as they called it. Which, which means land of the Ulsterman. Now, Ula means Ulsterman in Irish. And the Vikings, I mean, obviously not just content with changing bloodlines, also wanted to change the language. So added a third of the word Ula, forming Ulaster, which became shortened to Ulster, which means the territorial land of the Ulsterman, you know. Well, two of these Vikings, you know, brothers, it seems right, they wanted to take a break from being so rapey and pillagey and felt like both of them should be in control. Like all brothers run settled disagreements with, you know, a well thought out and rational debate, they, well, they had a scrap. I mean, I have a big brother, and we used to fight loads as kids. I mean, he was older and bigger, but I was always sneakier, always finding a way to hurt him. Even if I got him hurt, hurt myself, if I could hurt him, it's a win for me. But, you know, much younger than him. But even I drew the line at axes, but not these two. I mean, they were trying to take the lumps out of each other. One was getting the better of the other, so the lesser of the two. The kind of one that was getting defeated, and desperation went off fountain of tires, it's called. 
which is like a last resort of the damn type action. Basically, you uh, lop your hand off the wrist. Yeah, you heard it. You just whack your hand off the wrist, right? You use the spurt to gush blood into the eyes of your foe before chopping them up. I mean, you got that. Seems legit, doesn't it? Why wouldn't you do that? Now, I wouldn't proclaim to be a warrior of any sorts, but if you had time to grab your wrist, chop it off, and aim your spurt, which sounds a little wrong, aim your spurt um, of, of blood at their eyes, then chop them, why didn't you just chop them up the bema? I mean, where, where's the time coming to lop your hand off and then chop them? I mean, you just go find the tire. They have to wait while, you know, go to their corner or something while you hack away at your wrist. And man, who knows? I mean, I certainly can't claim to be able to get in the mindset of a Viking berserker mid-battle. So I'll just keep my counsel on this one. And I certainly wouldn't want to upset any Vikings that are listening because, I mean, we're kind of brothers ourselves. I could be one of those, you know, genetic lineage and all that. But again, it's just another hand chopped off in battle. That's where the red hand comes from. It's all about battle and blood. And they've kind of saved the best to last here. The one that I kind of have we hankering for the one that I like the story that I like well it's in two parts but not really fun. Well, it's two similar stories so it's the final one part one if you get my point out we'll call it that right and it's about three Warren brothers which really makes you question sibling love back in the day doesn't it you know these two brothers were set a task by their dad right probably he gathers them around a family fire and declares whoever touches Ulster first wins the kingdom no qualms no restarts no buts just a kingdom for the victor which is a pretty cool prize I mean the kingdom like three brothers are called Ayr, Heber and Hermel three sons of Milesius and can you guess where he was from yeah yeah you know it Galicia exactly and it's in Iberia and Ireland became known as Hibernia which is apparently new Iberia so there's there's a bit of a Jewish connection working its way back in there also just to add to that a recent Trinity study suggested that Irish DNA a lot of Irish DNA stems from the Basque region. They did, they did a few programs about the culture and traits and traditions, and there's so many that are shared between the two. Drums, tin whistles, all that kind of stuff, but even bagpipes. And Galicia, of course, is in the Basque region. So there is that context that connects in there. But let's just hold up a second here. Or how the boss, you know, to go all Ulster Scots for a second, right? Are you also thinking that this Malaysia guy just sounds like a right arrogant bastard? Because that's what I'm thinking. Who's he to promise my island? Uh, but a brave heart there, right? Do his sons, you know, offering up Ulster as like the first prize in the yachting race? I mean, the answer may lie in this book called The Book of Invasions or Labour, Gabala Aaron, uh, more Irish awesomeness there. The Book of Taking Ireland. Think of it, that's his literal translation. It's a book of poems and prose, and they're written well. All the foreigners don't want the PC Ireland, you know, all, all the invasions basically. It sounds like a real rib tickler, like, doesn't it? But. Inside it tells of a guy called Mill, and he may have had military control of Erin, as it was known at the time, which is Ireland. I mean, there's a story, obviously in the Book of Invasions, that he took Ireland as revenge for the death of his uncle who was killed there by the locals. So maybe he was offering up the northern part of Ireland, as he didn't really want it. It's it's always been the most rebellious, most raucous province, and that kind of maybe explains why the English and the Scots tried to subdue it, pumping hundreds and thousands of settlers in there during the plantations, you know. Aside from that rather thorny issue, you know, it does make more sense. As I, I was originally thinking, it was when I first read it that it was three brothers from racing from Galicia, probably heading towards Kilkale, which is the mouth of Carlingford Lock in southeast Ulster, not far from the Morn Mountains, a bit further on down, but not far. Where obviously those big giants were fighting earlier. It's a race of about uh, eight hundred one miles, and you can check that if you like. You know, Google it because I did, and that's where I got it from. But that would take weeks and probably an army of slaves to whip. But I'm now thinking, maybe it's just a race across Carlingford Bay. 
And Carniford Bay is like a, a natural sea inlet which separates County Louth and Leinster and County Down and Ulster. And it takes about 15 minutes to cross the narrowest point by like a modern day ferry. So it's a lot shorter and 801 miles. But the name for Carniford Bay comes from uh, those pesky Vikings again, right? I mean, Inland of the Hag or the Nun, which is nice. I mean, I'm sure all the nuns love that. But I think it's actually referencing the, the hills there. And they, they call them the nuns. But I mean, it'd be a lot more exciting race to watch, wouldn't it? Than that big marathon. I mean, who likes a marathon? You know, it's really the sprint finish at the end of the marathon that's good, isn't it? But also, there'd be no crew involved. It would all just be personal skill. You could have judges present. You could get the crowds around, people cheering, getting drunk, having a laugh, you know? A bit more of a spectacle. But right, I'll get back to the tale here, as that's a generous tangent I've just taken. Okay, picks this, right? Land is in sight. And the drums start beating, you know, a full up tempo techno vibe. Boom, boom, boom. Here, the stage, he's out of it. He's gone. Forget about him. It's between Heber and Ermon, and Heber's inching ahead. So picture Heber, a wee man in a boat, prepping himself to jump to shore. You know, he, he can see the land. He can taste his new kingdom. He's probably already decided how he's going to whack his brother after this anyway. As his ship beaches, he's total eager beaver, jumping overboard, pounding through the waves. He's so ready to savour his victory, and just at the very second that he's reaching out to cement his legacy, this he feels a splatter of blood across his cheek, and then a severed hand just whizzes past his ear and smacks a rock right in front of him. I mean, after a few moments of WTF contemplation, he must have crashed on his knees, screaming in horror. His destiny is just yanked away from his grasp at the final second. But let's rewind back a few minutes here and jump into Heremon's mindset. He sees his brother, Heber, bouncing with excitement, probably whooping and hollering with joy as he bounds out of a boat and wades off towards the shore. I mean, if he's anything like my brother, he'd be flicking the V-signs and taking the piss with a slow-motion-style victory run, maybe even humming chariots of fire, you know. However, Heremon, he isn't giving up. He really wants this. Like, really, really wants this. He's willing to risk it all with one final trek up his sleeve. He's looking at Heber, bounding through the waves, and then he looks at his wrist. Then Heber, then wrist. Heber, wrist, and then he just thinks, fuck it. He wedges his arm tight to the deck, knee digging in hard to hold it steady, or steady as a sailboat allows, and he takes a big shiny axe and whack! One graceful chop, it is gone. Now I'm going to gamble here and assume that he cuts off his bad hand, but then he picks it up and goes all Tom Brady and yinging it towards the shore where it smacks off a rock and leaves a big red handprint. Huh? That's fortunate, isn't it? But it establishes Heremon as the lord of all Ulster. Well, that's a pretty ballsy move. I'm sure you'll, no one will disagree with that. But, but if you were Heber, you'd be questioning if anyone saw it, wouldn't you? Trying to creep on and you know, wiping the red mark off with a bit of seawater, touching it, going, oh, no. Me, I was here first, kicking the hand back into the sea, but there may have been judges and stuff and all. If I was Heremon, though, that's, I'd be a bit worried, you know, my squirting stump there, blood just pissing out. I mean, can you even fix that thing back then? Is there a doctor ready to cauterize that just hanging on the shore? I mean, who's going to expect that to have happened? I mean, one minute the doctor's going to be chilling, having a wee vino, going, well, that's a good race, isn't it? Just watching from the hillside, and then all of a sudden he's got to save the new king of Ulster. I mean, can you even build a fire that quick to get get the heat? Or, or did it know about tourniquets? There's certainly no gold taps to run it under. And they can't exactly use the sea. I mean, can you imagine tss, putting that stump into the salt? Oh, no, not for me. He did survive, though. We do know that. Because after having the kingdom handed to him, uh, right, he ordered the execution of all his brothers. So, I mean, that's the quintessential bad winner right there. 
But oddly, he let he let their sons live, which was nice of him. However, unless Hollywood has lied to me, that is a massive mistake. It's always the baby son that gets sent away and then comes back to kill the king, isn't it? You know, just check out Oedipus. And to be fair, he did a lot more than just kill his dad, but we'll not talk about that. Uh, that kind of leads us on in no way to uh, the final part, part two, which is a very similar story. And I first heard it from one of my flatmates when I was at uni. His name was Kevin O'Neill, which, yeah, is a bit of a clue as to where the story is going to go. Well, it was one of the first times we'd met, and as soon as he heard my accent, his dull red eyes lit right up. He sat back in his chair, took a deep draw, big drag, and dropped a history bomb about his family. He told me, right, that one of his ancestors was, was racing a guy called Dermot on horseback, horse race. They were racing to be the first to touch... Ulster. Now stop me if you've heard this before, but his ancestor was losing the race to Dermot and with the finish line in sight, decided to chop off his hand. However, he managed to do that on horseback. Like full out of the saddle, stabbing the horse, I don't know, but that's what happened. And he launched it as far as he could and it was just far enough to win him the kingdom. Poor old Dermot though, you know, maybe if he'd been a history buff, you know, listening to the podcast, he could have known that. But to me, it's just another case of the O'Neill's rebranding history. Once again, you know, you got to give them props for propaganda attempts. I mean, they really have created a legacy for themselves, but we're on to them, aren't we? Not so much old Kev, though. He's still pumping out that story hundreds of years later. Like, But I suppose that's proof of the potency of it. <laughs> right, almost forgot there. The key key ingredient in the story, right? Can you guess what his ancestor was called? Huh? Yes, that's right. You've got it. O'Neill. Harriman O'Neill. I mean, how easy must it have been to be the head of advertising at the O'Neill HQ? You just depend on O'Neill to every story. You know, there's Jesus O'Neill. But false advertising, it may be. But it's still a decent story. I mean, they all are, sort of, and due to real lack of evidence, you can believe whichever one you like. It's kind of like religion, I suppose. But, but maybe you know a different to him. One the O'Neills didn't twist. I mean, if that's the case, hurt me up. Don't be keeping any of this gold to yourself. I mean, we're all friends here. You can hit me up at irreverenthistory at gmail.com or my Instagram, which is davetree69. Or you can go to the very much under construction website, irreverenthistory.com. Details of all the social media is right there. And you can also find show notes to this show and hopefully future ones, depending on when you're listening. In those show notes, you'll maybe see some chat about a guy called John Vinnigan. He's an Ulster specialist who wrote a poem about the red hand and... Maybe it'll help you to choose which story you believe. He says, The red hand of ulcers, a paradox quite, Two baronets to said to belong. If they use the left hand, they're sure to be right, And to use the right hand would be wrong. For the province a different custom applies, And just reverses the rule. If you use the right hand, then you'll be right, Safe and wise. If you use the left hand, you're a fool. He's really speaking about whether the hand should be the left hand or the right hand. As you know, it's very hard to find agreement on that either. So, I would say no, it doesn't help you. But I just wanted to try and be a little highbrow, throw in a bit of poetry there. So, indulge me. But of all the stories you've heard, which one do you actually think is true? Red hand up, if you know the answer. Well, my favourite is the task of the three brothers. As Even though there's hardly any evidence whatsoever for it, this story just captures my attention. It seems more real and... Honestly, it doesn't matter. There's no need to get too attached to whichever one, if any of them, that you believe is they could all be bullshit. So I'm just choosing to embrace the one I like best. I mean, as the saying goes, in the absence of facts, invention will do. I mean, I'm not sure who says that, but I like it. 
skipping to the end here, as I'm probably dragging on a bit, whichever you believe, the bedrock to them all is the image of the red hand. I mean, it's so potent, it's so strong and so violent. It's such a vivid representation of struggle and victory, which is why I think so many groups want to be associated, for good or for bad, whatever the reason. I mean, as I said before, though, one of these groups is the Ulster Rugby team, and I'm going to let the crowd play a sight with a song called Stand Up for the Ulsterman. Now, I did look for a Tyrone song to add balance, but I could only find like a wacky version of a Billy Joel song. Like, I didn't start to fire. Oh, by Mickey Hart or whatever, but it is worth a Google, to be fair. So check that out in your own time, if you want. Um, but here's the Ravenhill Massive. The play a sight. Later. <laughs> 